You're listening to NapaBroadcasting.com. Local voices, local conversations. Welcome back to NapaBroadcasting.com. Unless you've stepped out of a cave or haven't read anything about entertainment, you would know that the music business today is under siege, that royalties are subject to ongoing debate, record sales have long since been replaced by downloads, and only concerts and live events are the bright spot in the business of rock and roll. It's no wonder, then, that even here in Napa, our live event, Bottle Rock, has been a big deal. Born two years ago, almost as if by immaculate conception, today it's in more stable hands, facing new challenges and opportunities, and still swatting at some of those old flies that are still buzzing around. It's coming up in a little over 60 days, and today I'm joined by the two purveyors of the new bottle rock, Dave Graham and Jason Scoggins. They've been kind enough to join us here on NapaBroadcasting.com. Dave, Jason, thanks so much for coming in. Happy to be here. Thank you for having us. It's great to have you here. First Thank of all, you. I want to go back a little bit in this story and talk a little bit about your first introduction to Bottle Rock, not when you wound up getting involved in buying it, which we'll talk about, but your first knowledge of it and uh, the first experience that, that either of you had with Bottle Rock. Well, you know, I'm from Napa, um, born and raised, and my, my wife sent me an email um, and she's from Napa as well, and <laughs> showed me this lineup of of amazing bands that uh, were going to be playing in Napa, and I kind of didn't believe it. And uh, when it turned out to be true, um, we bought tickets and um, we attended, and we attended, I think, all four days, and we had a blast. We couldn't believe that it was that this kind of event was happening in our own little hometown, and uh, so. You know, fast forward to the end of the uh, the festival, and and it was almost as if the entire city and county was was figuratively speaking intoxicated because of uh, what an amazing experience ha- we just had all gone through um, in Napa, and uh, so we were excited for 2014, and then as time progressed, we began to hear about some debt and things along those lines, and we were pretty concerned about. Um, it not happening, but at that point in time when we first started hearing about it, we had no intention or notion of even getting involved. Um, it was just kind of a, a bummer to hear that it didn't work out on the back end. Jason? Yeah, I, I think similar reaction when, when we saw the uh, the reports in the in uh, the press or on social media. Uh, it, was, it was something that uh, no one in Napa had ever even considered having a, a major festival in in downtown Napa for that matter not downtown Napa growing up uh, again me being born and raised here was always just kind of a pass-through or, or something that you did uh, uh, from time to time so um, the the idea of putting Napa on the map from a music festival standpoint with world-class artists and and the the concept of blending the wine and the food and and the fun and the culture of Napa Valley it was like this is a no-brainer. It seemed like a, a perfect recipe, especially especially for the the older demographic, uh, somebody that you know is used to coming to Napa on a regular basis. So we were stoked about about the opportunity of of just being attendees. And uh, were you guys impressed that it that it actually came together? That somebody actually came up with the idea to do this, did it, pulled it off in a relatively short time? Oh man, <clears throat> absolutely. I mean, you know, we uh, I've. I've met one of the. Uh, I know one of the. Met one of the original founders, um, and uh, despite some of the challenges that they had on the back end, I uh, I was and still am in in awe of the idea, the size of the idea, and how they were able to pull it off. 
on the front end. I mean, just uh, as an entrepreneur, total admiration for taking a concept into uh, and to, to be able to execute it. And had you guys had any background or experience in the music business or anything related to the music business, Jason? Believe it or not, not not at all. Um, it was it was more of a uh, when we approached Bottle Rock uh, in terms of the business and taking it forward. It was more of a uh, an entrepreneurial spirit that that took over and and looking at we had hindsight from from the past and what worked and didn't work right. from the from the former uh, promoters and and so we we looked at some of the challenges that they faced figured that if we could eliminate some of those or, or just don't step step on some of those landmines, there's uh, based on the demand that we saw the first year and, and the experience that Dave talked about being an intoxicating experience for so many fans. And, and the concept was such a, a, an amazing idea that, you know, don't do these bad business things and, and then blend this food, wine, music thing together. And there's something here. So that was the, the idea. Was there ever a concern that there was a certain energy a certain sweet spot a certain moment that happened with respect to the first one that was kind of lightning in the bottle that might be hard to recapture that was hard to recapture um i guess the only thing that comes to mind is that um it it being a first time experience you, you know there's a there's a first time for everything right and uh our first time there was 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 incredible the the idea the, the notion of bringing in the Black Keys and Zach Brown to our little town, um, and 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 actually seeing that be a reality—that's probably something that it's an experience or a feeling that you just can't ever repeat, right? How did you guys decide? And you've worked together before. You're you're both from Napa. We'll talk a little about that. How did you decide we're going to try and put together an effort to and put together the money to buy this thing once it was in trouble? Well. We, um, I was leaving a company that I had co-founded um, in San Francisco to take a little break, and it was October of 2013, and uh, my business partner um, didn't think I'd be able to take a break, and uh, so he asked me what, uh, what my plans were, and I said, take a break, and he said, why don't you buy Bottle Rock? And buy bottle rock. What does that mean? <laughs> like, what are you talking about? And so I, I, but I was actually a little intrigued, and I texted Jason, and uh, literally said, "Hey, want to buy bottle rock?" And he <laughs> said, "Let's chat." He was, he, he was taking me. Probably, I haven't even asked him. Asked him. We can ask him here today what he actually thought when I did text him. And so um, we ended up looking at. Um, he ended up uh, finding a way to to connect me with. Um, with uh, a lot of information that had, had been out there because there were quite a few other promoters that uh-huh. um, had taken a look right. and had chosen to pass. And so there was this, call it this, this um, a lot of due diligence uh, work that we were able to look at. And to Jason's point a little bit earlier, we had the benefit of, of hindsight. So you saw the demand there. Um, and which is always, it's, it's one of the most important aspects of actually starting a business you have people have to be able to buy what you're selling and then number two is is there a differentiator there because you don't ever want to be in a me too business and we saw that there was an opportunity to be a different festival to connect as jason said earlier this this the world-class food world-class wine which is kind of the and weather which is part of the, mm-hmm. the napa brand promise with with music and so we we saw a bunch of mistakes, again, I'm being Captain Hindsight here, that we felt didn't need to happen. 
And if you were able to eliminate them, and they, again, had nothing to do with the music side of the, of the, of the equation, they were basic business issues that we saw we could fix. That, that's, that's where we saw, we know we, we, we have something, and, and that's when we decided to kind of put forward a campaign, if you will, to, to figure out a way to become the promoters. Knowing that other companies, including Live Nation and some others, had taken a look at it, had, had not just kicked the tires, but had done some due diligence of their own. In fact, it, one of them had an exclusive right for a short period of time in terms of due diligence. To what extent did you think, well, if they don't want to do it and they're in this business, should we really do this? We made some assumptions, and I think our assumptions were right, um, that we knew what they were up to. We knew that what they were going to do, and and it would be smart, and again, these are assumptions and theories, Mm -hmm. um, is that they would wait. Wait for um, BR festivals to file bankruptcy and wait for the, the, the taint and all of the the bad stuff to go away and any notion of obligation to debt repayment and then come in and compete against their friends, their, not their friends, their colleagues right. in the industry to be the promoter. <laughs> there was no doubt that the festival was going to happen in 2015. There was demand and a differentiator, but we saw a way to, to f- go in, put on the festival in 2014, eliminate debt and um, keep that which is really unique to Napa um, happening within the festival, the experience, if you will. And that's the promise we made to the expo. It's the promise we made to the community. And uh, we got the go-ahead. You guys understood clearly that, that you had to put that 2014 festival on, that, that the biggest thing you had going for you was first mover advantage in, in the wreckage of the original one. Yeah, absolutely. That was that was one of the promises that we made, and it was it was imperative, or or we really wouldn't have had anything. We would have been competing as a very small uh, startup, no background in the entertainment business uh, entity against, like Dave said, the the Live Nations right. and and the AEGs of the world, and we wouldn't have st- stood a chance in in that RFP process, if you will. Right. So that was kind of our first mover or competitive advantage. Uh, but I also think that we had the uh, the local knowledge the tribal knowledge who who are the people and the influencers and and who is it that's you know we need to 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 check boxes with uh to make this thing move forward and i think that was probably something for a, a live nation coming from outside that they were a little you asked why did they back out i think part of it was to dave's point of there was all this wreckage and debt and let's just let that get washed away but also they would have been starting from you know fifty thousand feet and not having really any knowledge of the Napa market or who, who or uh, how to navigate this, this place, which right. is special and different. Right. Of so. course, there's the other side to that, that that you had to look at from the point of view of local officials, local electeds, local people. You guys had the local knowledge. You had, as you say, the tribal knowledge. On the other hand, sometimes when the big guy comes in from somewhere else with a big pot of money – it puts people at ease. It, you know, it's like you know when you're in the corporate world, it used to be that if you hired IBM, you were safe because that was the safe thing to do. It was taking a risk going with unknowns in some respects. Yes, but no one was willing to come up and step up right. and help take care of the debt. That's why they were punting. They were waiting for it to go away. And um, The other promoters. The other promoters. Other promoters, right. And so we figured out a... a a restructuring plan that I don't think anyone ever thought of. 
um, which was an asset purchase versus an acquisition. And the asset purchase and outside of bankruptcy, and I don't want to get too technical here, but I'm happy to, um, but we figured out that there was a way outside of bankruptcy to do an asset purchase um, and have no liabilities, but at the same time, because we felt that we could make a bad situation less bad, we knew that we could figure out a way to eliminate a boatload of their debt. Um, and again, we knew that no one else would be, be willing to step up and do that. And so we felt like, okay, here's an opportunity to come in, albeit we have a short period of time to do this. We have a learning curve. We have a tainted brand. We have no trust within the music industry. But um, if we just do everything we say we're going to do relative to the plan that we put in place that, and block out all of the noise, because we knew there was going to be a lot of noise, and naysayers, um, and get it right, um, that there was something special here. Did you have a concern that with the asset, it was before Bottle Rock had gone into bankruptcy. Yeah. A concern that even purchasing the asset could be drawn back into the bankruptcy at some point. There's a theoretical possibility, but again, knowing what would happen in the bankruptcy estate um, and knowing that no one was willing to pay a dollar for any of their assets, um, and we were willing to pay a lot um, that any bankruptcy judge would uh, would definitely look favorably on our offer, so to speak, and what we're doing to eliminate debt. Um, and uh, and again, since there was no competition, no one wanted it. No one wanted any asset of BR festivals. No one wanted any liabilities of BR festival. And so we we felt pretty pretty confident that people would ultimately figure out that. Um, you know, we eliminated over $5 million of their debt. And when they did, they'd be like, wow, that's, that's, that's a good thing. Having said that, lack of experience, which was probably a good thing that you guys brought to it, and the wreckage that was lying there, what was it like going out and trying to raise the money that you guys would need to make this happen? Well, you know, it, it wasn't hard in, in, in the beginning because um, we – you know, the people we, we speak with, well, first of all, we were putting in money. <laughs> so that's the first question that any investor is going to ask. Do you have skin in the game? Answers, yes, a lot. Um, so check the box there. Number two is that we have uh, credibility um, within you know our network of people having started businesses that have done okay. So um, our initial capitalization was almost, I wouldn't say instantaneous, but we, we put together a bunch of capital quickly. Um, it's when you needed more capital down the road because you had cash flow issues um, because people didn't trust us and wanted payment up front. Up front right. <laughs> and um, so it wasn't a question of P&L or profit and loss. It was a question of cash flow where we had really had challenges. And so we had to capitalize more. And then you know people, that was probably a little more difficult than we had anticipated, but um, we, we were able to sort that out. Were these investors that came from locally or from outside of Napa? Um, a lot. They're both. Both. So we have uh, the, the the first group that we went to. So again, it was we have three partners. So there's Jason, Justin, and myself. Justin's not here today. So we, we put in money. And then um, we went to our, our network um, within the community. Um, and... Uh, we wanted we wanted to be able to say that this was you know in large part owned and operated by local people, 
And uh, so that's where we went first. But we there there's some you know tech investors that, that jumped in because they knew Jason or they knew me mm-hmm. or they knew Justin. Talk a little bit about the response that you got initially in the community once you did this, did the asset purchase, and and made it clear that you were going to try and pull this off. Doubt and confusion. Doubt and confusion. Yeah, I I would agree with both of those. And then there was also a lot of people that uh, were very supportive of our efforts. And, you know, we didn't, I don't think we got anybody that personally in the grocery store line said, I wish you weren't doing this. Most people were saying, you know, patting us on the back and and go, go, go. We love the festival. We love it for Napa. Um, And, you know, outside of Napa and outside of the industry, I don't think most people knew much about what was happening behind the scenes in this whole dirty laundry of the bankruptcy. And and that was part of going back to something you asked earlier, part of why we were willing to keep the brand and, and how we were able to sell it to our investors and so forth. That Bottle Rock was a massive success the first year on the front end that we talked about earlier in the show. And the name, I think, has legs if, if we can if we can fulfill the promises that we made and and uh, carry it forward. So it it that was a bet, that was a risk that we were taking that the brand was not tainted in the in the community of music fans. Right. And and I think we we proved that out. Yeah, but there was a taint, um, you know, locally because um, you know it you you can't expect people, um, everyone, to understand the difference between an asset purchase. In an acquisition, <laughs> one has a liability, one doesn't. And, you know, you when you buy a brand, not everyone knows that that's a brand, not a company. And and so we, we understood that there was confusion and we understood that people thought since we bought the brand that we were going to, you know, reduce or pay $10 million that was owed by the previous promoters. Um, and so, um, and typically the, the ones that... Um, are the, the loud, there are a lot of loud people sometimes, and there were very loud people that didn't understand the situation. And I, I remember talking to my wife, um, and I said, "Look, this is you're going to hear some things that you're not going to like said about me or our partner partners or or the, the festival itself." Um, first of all, I'm not going to be reading any comments, and if you read comments in in the paper um, and elsewhere, um, I don't want to know about them. And that's by design. It's not that I want to remain ignorant. It's that I want to remain focused. And um, Jason had a little harder time uh, <laughs> blocking out the comments. <laughs> and so he also, but it was it was beneficial too because he would he would give me a read on the pulse of where things are. And so if I really needed to know something, he would he would say, "Hey, you got to pay attention to this." And so, uh, what would you say? Oh, I, I mean, clearly there was a lot of noise. Yeah. Oh well, you know, everybody uh, is a social media hero these days. You know, right. there's a lot of people that that feel like they can they can say whatever they want on the uh, comment box of the Napa Register on the on the website or social media. Um, so, yeah, I, I actually like to understand what people are saying, and and I think you know, of our three partners, I kept my finger on the pulse mm-hmm. of that the most. And you know, if there was something that needed to be addressed, I, I definitely. Um, felt like we would address it um you know this year it's been it's been a totally different story i mean the the comments have almost entirely gone away and and i think now that the bankruptcy stuff has been kind of fully processed not financially speaking for the creditors but at least it's pretty far along it's far along people now today's point we've educated people the bankruptcy estate has educated people and and i think people are seeing that that us being involved made a really bad situation less bad Mm -hmm. Talk a little bit about the brand itself, what you envisioned when you bought it and how you've, you've shaped it and shifted it a little bit in, in the past year or so. Yeah. 
well, no either one of you. Yeah, so the it's one of the things we saw originally as being an opportunity uh, is to differentiate our festival. And so um, when we took over, remember we took over at the end of January, the asset, which is the brand, um, and we started booking bands in February and didn't finish until mid-March. Why am I telling you that? Well, I'm telling you that because we had zero time. We had zero time to do any sort of big changes. But when we saw the original kind of tone of the brand, the website, the, the, they're called expressions of the brand, um, we, didn't, we didn't think that it, they, they, they got it right. We, the notion of dark, the notion of edgy, um, relative to the, to, the, to the tone of the, the festival, we felt was wrong because you, you really need to tap into the brand promise that is the Napa Valley. And so last year we didn't have time to really redo anything. This year we started on June 2nd, the day after the festival, and we redid the brand. So that means, I mean, new website, new, new communication objectives, um, new, a new team, et cetera, but back to the, back to the colors, colors, everything back to the brand. It was a no brainer to us to, to, when someone thinks Napa and Napa Valley, they automatically think wine and food and weather that was being missed. And so why not have that reflected in, 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 in anything and every expression that you have that represents the brand. And we spent a lot of time on that and and the tones have come out really great. And and everyone for the most part loves what we've done. And and Napa in general loves the way that we're, we're conveying Napa to the world. And we're doing that in a big way. Uh, I would, I would just say that, uh, I deal with the wineries personally. That's, that's part of my responsibility is, is sponsorships and, and partnerships. And I think that the, one of the, the best compliments we've gotten post revision of, of the Bottle Rock brand looking Bottle Rock 2.0. Yeah, 2.0, thank you. Uh, is that the wineries feel like it's a platform that they can really leverage and, and they want to associate their brands with something that is more indicative, more uh, consistent with, like Dave said earlier, this 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 weather, this this food, this this winery component that's colorful and 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 really aesthetically pleasing, and not friendly. not edgy, yeah, friendly. Um, so we, you know, the wineries have it seems have really embraced the the new look and feel, and and we've gotten great feedback from from everybody else as well. What impact do you think that that has on the demographic? that was there originally, the demographic that you had last year, the demographic that you want this year, and the impact that it has filtering down to the selection of, of the bands that are there? Everything. It's all got to be consistent. And um, the, the, the demographic from 2013 is essentially the same demographic that we had in 2014. And we're going to have the same demographic in 2015. And it's a very different demographic, um, comparatively speaking, when you talk festivals. Um, the average age of a festival goer at, at, at the more large festivals, the outside lands, the, the Coachellas, the Bonnaroos, it's kind of in that 18 to 25, 18 to 27 sweet spot. And it's a great spot to, to really go after. But our demographic, half of it is 21 to, to 35 and half is 35 to 65. And what that means is, is that it's just a different experience. It's not that it's boring, but instead it's, it's friendly, it's safe kids can come moms can come families can come um older people that would never go to festivals even myself i'm 43 i don't go to festivals anymore it's just it's just too much of a hassle um i always say to jason man i wish i could go to our festival <laughs> It'd be a lot of fun <laughs> because you know we're working there but that is huge and then of course it it the, the demographic is is meaningful also from a business standpoint because it's an untapped market 
um, that demographic is already coming up for wine or Mm -hmm. they're more likely to come up. And our venue is not a big venue. You look at a an outside lands at seventy five thousand a day, a Coachella at almost a hundred. You know we're at twenty five to thirty five thousand a day. That's small, so you have to make money in other ways. And um, people come up to Napa and they spend money, and they spend money on food, and they spend money on wine, and that's really where we we, we see the opportunity to have a smaller, more boutique friendly uh, festival but at the same time not compromise on on, 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 on on having a solid, repeatable, sustainable business model because we've got people that are willing to spend money on food and wine. What has been putting the what we've talked about aside, the you know old stuff, getting it done, rebranding, and all the things we've talked about, in terms of the ongoing operation of the festival in Napa, what has been the biggest challenge? <laughs> um, hotels. Hotels but or the, the, the lack thereof <laughs> right. in terms of capacity yeah. for, for uh, housing large numbers of people. Um, I would say that parking is another issue. So those are probably our two biggest logistical challenges is, is hotel rooms and parking. Um, and then in terms of, you know, we talked a little bit earlier offline about finding, you know, great talent to, mm-hmm. to hire the, the hiring pool. We have great hospitality components to our festival and, and we, we can check those boxes with the local, with the local, um, you know, population, uh, that, that this is what we do is hospitality. So our VIP experience, it's going to be amazing because we have people that can run that and they're used to doing that kind of stuff, but, you know, finding that production person or, or, you know, these these certain niche uh, things that like you know our booker is out of Nashville for example you know and it, it's just not an easy thing to do to find music industry people in Napa Valley is, is one of the things we were challenged with yeah it I, I would say the same I mean endemic to our area would be the three things that Jason just mentioned would be the, the parking um, the hotel and then um, finding um, talent locally that that um, is yeah that has skill sets in line with what we're looking for fortunately we've been able to to, to find um them for the most part I, most everyone that works for us is is local it, it mm. took it took a year and a half um to, to find them um but for the most part everyone that works here on a full-time basis or most of the year um is uh is from napa Talk a little bit about what you know with respect to the audience, besides the the age range, which you talked about before. Is it coming from Napa? Is it coming from Marin? Is it coming from San Francisco? What do we know about where the audience is coming from? Yeah, so you've got uh, 89% of people that come to this festival come from outside of Napa and Sonoma. Um, And so uh, we can talk about how that's an opportunity in a minute here, but... Of 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 that hundred percent, which is the eighty nine percent, eighty five percent of that um, comes from California. Um, our second, um, so our biggest market on a city basis actually is San Francisco. No surprise there. Right. Second biggest is Los Angeles. So a lot of people come up here from Los Angeles, um, but in general, the Bay Area is, is our core. Um, and, uh, so everywhere from, and I include Sacramento, I include, mm-hmm. you know, North Bay, Santa Rosa area, and I include, um, in Bay area all the way down to San Jose and it pretty much stops there. Then you, you get a trickle from Monterey in that area. And then it starts to bump back up when you talk Los Angeles. What could be done to increase the population coming from Napa? 
what opportunities does that provide you, and how do you address them? Jason, well, <laughs> we, we, Jason and I call this, we, we, we firmly believe in nepotism. So we, we, we tell vendors this, that if a vendor, um, uh, it, it, we, do, we do bidding processes for everything. And if you have the same price as everyone else, but you're from Napa, you're getting the business. And I'll say that to a vendor um, that's from outside of Napa right away, just so, just so they know we have an absolute bias to, to Napa. Um, but I mean, I'll, I've been talking, I'll let you answer the, the question. I mean, well, I think, you know, last year was a, I think for a lot of people from Napa was a wait and see mm-hmm. year. And so uh, let's see, you know, they had a great time at the festival the first year. The next year was, you know, a wait and see kind of proposition. So this year, I think we're we're expecting to see a lot more people coming from Napa. Um, you know, what we did this year was roll out this dynamic pricing structure, and and every time we ro- rolled out a new price or before we increased the price, we would let the Napa population know Napa Valley, uh, all the way from Calistoga to to Americana, let them know, hey, this is a good guy price. You know, please don't don't let this opportunity go by the wayside. We'll continue to do things like that. We'll always, you know, make sure that before we sell out a certain price point and a ticket, we want our Napa friends and, and family to have a shot at that. Yeah. Um, so that's that's one idea. I think just continuing to put the, a great world class festival, booking great talent, um, and and you know, consistently having a great experience inside the, the festival gates is going to sell tickets to the locals. And uh, we'll just continue to, you know, keep our head down and it's and focus important. On that. I mean, we would love to have it, right? Because if you've got challenge with challenges with housing, well, you don't have as many challenges if you have more people coming from Napa. Um, so right now, we sell um, roughly seventy percent of our tickets that are single day because people can't buy three day tickets because there is no accommodation. Uh, or there are no accommodations in, in the valley. I shouldn't say no, but there are five thousand rooms. They're limited, essentially. right? Yep. And <clears throat> you know, at that time of year, you've got a 60 percent occupancy rate, anyways. And then imagine adding, you know, thirty-five thousand people. <laughs> it doesn't. It doesn't. The math doesn't work out. And so we sell more single-day tickets than anything. And that's a challenge for us, of course, because we've got to sell more tickets. It means more marketing, more people you have to reach in, and it means more traffic. Um, and it means that people are coming and going because they got to go home. So, you know, we knew that going into this, but it, you know, you asked the question, um, you know, what are, are some of our biggest challenges? Housing is one of them. And then, um, but we'd love to see even more napkins, so to speak, uh, coming to the festival for a lot of reasons. Historically speaking, I mean, historically two years, I mean, is there some element of Napa that's kind of waiting as has happened in the past for the prices to go the other way that you think if they wait, oh, that somehow yeah, absolutely. there's, there's going to be a discount there? Oh yeah. It'll happen. It, 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 it happens. So the first year, um, the, the first year festival did a lot of um, what is called papering. So they Lots, got a lot of tickets. Right. Um, and so people waited uh, for tickets to come in uh, for free. And then, of course, we that Napa is a hospitality area and hospitality people take care of hospitality people. So it's kind of there's not a sense of urgency. You kind of want to wait. Right. And then um, and then, you know, last year we jumped into this thing and we. Um, we didn't, we had 76 days to market, which, you know, is in retrospect, I mean, what were we thinking? Like, why did we jump into this thing? It was crazy. And so, you know, when we saw the sales numbers going where they were, uh, there was taint to it. There are all kinds of reasons. We weren't able to book the lineup that we wanted, um, and sales were not going where we wanted. We had to discount. Um, and, uh, you know, 
it, it, it basically people were trained as of last year to either wait for tickets or tickets or wait to discount. for discounts, right? And you know, this year we were able to clean up the brand, as you know, uh, rebrand entirely, and then of course plan uh, a real marketing strategy and book the lineup that we wanted. And we've been able to create the demand, and now we're just being consistent with creating our own version of flex pricing. And we're not negotiating, we're not discounting, and you know, people are going to wait, uh, especially in Napa, to see if we're actually we actually mean that. And unfortunately, they're going to learn that lesson. And uh, you know, we gave them opportunities, and it is what it is. And but next year it'll be a little different. And I think, understandably, I, we understand why they're they're waiting. With all of that as the, the background and the backstory, talk a little bit about the acts that you booked this year. Why, what, how, the process, a little bit of insight into that. Sure. So that's in my bucket, I guess. I'll, I'll jump in. You can We can riff off of that. Sure. But uh, so, you, you know, you've got, you've got a different demographic out there, right? And so you've got to take that customer into consideration and figuring out what they want. And when you look at the broadness of our demographic, you've got to have something for everyone. So um, we also learned um, that you can't book a lineup um, based on a certain demographic. So let's say, you know, I'm 43. I can't book a lineup that I love for bands that I love. Right. And it's, and it's hard to – and if you book a lineup that gener- generally gravitates towards an older demographic, you're going to 100% ostracize the younger generation. And number two is if you book a lineup that caters only to 42 and up, you're going to compete with soccer practice. You're going to compete with all kinds of things. And so you can't count on ticket sales happening the way that you want. So what we do is we have a, we have something for everyone. So we start off with bands that say like, um, first of all, are they routing? Are they, are they actually going to be playing? Um, are they within your budget? Um, and then if they're in your budget and they're a fit and what do I mean by fit? Let's look at imagine dragons. Like I said, um, they are, um, a, a a credible top tier world class band. They have a new album coming out, which is now out. We knew that going into this. We knew that um, there are eight year olds and nine year olds that absolutely love this band, and therefore their parents know about the band. It's it's edgy from the perspective of it has street cred with you know the hipster community, mm-hmm. but at the same time they're not up there you know mfing and throwing out f bombs. And so in other words, it 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 literally fits everything. And so you, you book bands or you take those things into consideration so that that whole notion of something for everyone, it actually applies as much as possible. Um, adding bands that, that take into consideration our Latino community, um, you know, big, big, big part of what we do, whether it's whether it's Los Lobos, whether it's uh, Los Amigos Invisibles, whether it's uh, Gypsy Kings, like you got to just take all of that into consideration and... Uh, you, you book Robert Plant, right? It's he definitely caters to to me and my generation, caters to 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 people that are older than me. But because he's the front man for arguably the biggest rock band in the world, true music lovers that are young just go nuts. And and Jason was just telling me yesterday how many like his neighbor you were talking about. I have a fifteen year old, sixteen year old neighbor that I asked, "Who do you and your buddies want to see uh, a new tech?" kid by the way um who do they, who do they want to see come to ball rock and and they say oh we can't wait for robert plant and i was taken aback by it i'm thinking you know it would been imagine dragons or foster the people or some one of these younger hipster bands and, and i'm like why and he's like dave just touched on it They're, 
oh, he's a goal, he's the he's a rock god. We got to see him before you know it's too late, so to speak. So that yeah, was that, that works was a for everyone. Surprise. You know? so. Were there a bands Were there bands that you could have had that you turned down because it didn't fit into that equation? Oh, absolutely. It's part of what makes it so hard. I mean, a lot of bands. Um, and the bands, it's really hard to book bands. And the notion of having a big budget um, to, to book bands um, and it being easy to do, you know, it's only a question of money, is, couldn't be further or like farther from the truth. It's really, really difficult, to, 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 even if you can afford these bands. But, um, yeah, there were a lot of bands that were not a fit and that we passed on and uh, there were a lot of bands that were fit that passed on us so um, whether it's because they weren't routing or whether it's because they wanted to wait another year to see if you know everything is they still didn't understand that we weren't the people that created the the problems right so yeah it's it uh it took a it took a long time but we also started in june <laughs> to book bands this year what is the difficult part of it i'm sure people will wonder well if you just throw enough money at it it's easy but as you say, it's not. It, it's not. So you have to operate within a budget, and our budget's pretty big. But um, I mentioned a little bit earlier, are they playing? So we uh, let's just talk about uh, Red Hot Chili Peppers. Perfect. I'd, I'd love to see the Peppers here. Well, they're not playing. They're recording. And in fact, I think their drummer just broke his arm, so they're still going to be recording. So they're not playing. There's, there's no amount of money that will get them off the couch or out of the studio, so to speak, to play. So you find out if they're playing. Number two, are they routing? In other words, are are they on tour? And is, does the tour go down your path? So let's right. make this up. Did they start in Vancouver? Then they're going to Portland. Then they're going to San Francisco. Then they're going to LA. That would be a route, right? Um, as opposed to going to from Portland to New York and then back, it's going to cost you a lot of money. Their team doesn't want to do it. it. It's just it's just a hassle. And so that then it's the slot. Um, you know, you talk to uh, an Imagine Dragons, unless you have a headlining slot for them, they're not, don't even call them, right? But then there are a lot of bands that think they should be a headliner too. So then you have to debate back and forth. Then once you, you book, let's say, a headliner slot, who's going to actually open for them? Egos get in the way. And, you know, if that band, opening band, potential opening band, doesn't believe that the band they're opening for is, 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 is credible or that they're bigger, they're not, it's not happening. Um, if they're playing against a band that is huge and it's of the same genre and you're proposing that, they'll, they'll pass too. So um, you, you didn't even touch on the, uh, the radius clause issue, oh, right? Gosh. So I was going to ask that. Were they at Coachella uh, this coming uh, April 15th or whatever the, the, the days are this year? If they're at Coachella, then they're probably not going to be playing Bottle Rock because they've gotten, we've gotten radius out of, of mm -hmm. that band's ability to play our festival. Uh, we could book them, but we wouldn't be able to mark them, market them until well after the Coachella festival, festival which means right. you can't do it, right? right? Um, did they play Outside Lands the year before? And if they're a big band, let's say it's Tom Petty that played this past uh, August at, at Outside Lands in San Francisco, we're probably not going to book Tom Petty for our festival this coming fall, or excuse me, this coming summer, given uh, given that he's already just played the market in a, in a kind of a big way in a festival setting. Yeah, absolutely. Now that Outside Lands has announced its lineup yeah. just this past week, what impact does that have on ticket sales for you guys? Um so first of all, we, we, we really respect that, that festival and admire what they've been able to do. It's an icon, right? So um, the, the good news is that we don't feel like we compete with them. We feel like we're catering to a different audience, um, a different demographic. Um, we have a different experience. 
because if we felt like we were going to compete with them, then we had no business being in the business. Um, but interestingly enough, they went on set, they, they announced their lineup. Uh, I think it was, was it Tuesday or Monday, but, um, at 10 a.m. and uh, we were just talking about this. Um, we had our biggest hour of sales at 10 a.m. <laughs> right when they announced because you had people waiting to see the lineup hmm. and they were only going to one festival. And then they saw the lineup and, you know, obviously they did really well. They've already, you know, they, they're selling a ton of tickets. So not saying that, but there are people that, um, that, that uh, well, sales went really well actually after they announced their lineup is what I'm saying. It's interesting when you talk about their sales, and, and this is, I assume, the place that you all want to get to, is that people will buy their tickets for the next year before there's a lineup, knowing that, that there's a certain inherent promise just in being yep. in, at Bottle Rock. Absolutely. And, and we see ourselves getting there, actually, pretty 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 fast. In fact, we can sell out this year. So, um, And if we don't sell out, we're going to be pretty close. So, um, and, uh, and so once you know more and more people begin to – experience what we're providing and see how it's different see how uh, close the stages are together the world-class food how friendly everyone is that venues downtown napa um that there's not a bad seat in the house that ga people feel like vips when they're able to go into you know our winery tents and things like that um you know things like free water how all the greening we're doing um, they just feel good. You know, we're, we're making people aware of this unique experience, and um, every time we do that, um, they're they're going to want to come back. And so it's just a matter of time, and it could be next year. One of the issues that has come up from a, a very seemingly minor issue, but it, it comes up, I mean, it came up in the first festival, and, and it repeats itself over and over again, is people being either confused, not understanding, or concerned about in-and-out privileges. Yeah, yeah. So um, we're one of the only festivals in the country that allow for in-and-out privileges. So when you buy um, any three-day pass with, uh, with our festival, you can come and go as you please. That is... Um, not an industry uh, practice. We've it, it um, for a lot of reasons. One is the industry feels like they're going to lose out on food and beverage. Two is they feel like there's a security issue because people can go home and partake in whatever they want and then come back in. Well, we're from Napa, and <laughs> we kind of know <laughs> the mentality of Napa and Nappins. And I don't mean this in a, in any negative way. It's just that. That doesn't work for for, for Nappins. So we did this not for the rest of our audience. We did this only because um, we knew that there were so many people from Napa that wanted to come, but they're they're gonna not be happy about not being able to leave and come back. And so we decided to do it. Yeah, I, and I but that's only on the three day pass. The three not day, on the passes, day passes, exactly. Yeah, most people that are coming here for the day, it's almost unnecessary to offer an in out privilege. They're coming. For the day to spend right. their time at Bottle Rock, there's plenty of food, and uh, there's 20 local restaurants and 30 local wineries, all doing their own hospitality and 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 catering to the the patrons of the festival. So there's no real reason for people to leave from a single day perspective. On a three day, I can understand some people are gonna, you know, it's a long process you know 72 hours of festival going is is a lot so you know we wanted to make that available plus we wanted our local business partners downtown to maybe reap some benefits of of this large audience coming to to downtown napa and um and we just felt that was the right thing to do yeah i mean the idea that someone's going to come up to napa for the festival 
and the festival music starts at 12 and uh, they're going to leave at three to go wine tasting for an hour and then come back. You know, if we heard those complaints from wineries, we would have definitely listened. Mm-hmm. We didn't hear those complaints. Um, so yeah, that was, that was part of our decision-making with regards to, to, to the single day. And now that you're a year and a half into it, tell me about your take on the music business. Well, um, you know, I don't like to generalize. Um, but feel free. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we, um, we have um, our culture um, at Latitude 38 is, is one of, well, we move fast. And um, integrity is a huge part of, 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 our, of our culture. So doing what you say you're going to do. It's not to say that there isn't integrity in the music business, though there is. It it's just that the way that we operate, the way that we work with one another, we don't feel like you have to be an asshole. <laughs> pardon my French to um, to get someone to work um, their butts off, so to speak, and 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 to give give their all. We have different ways of motivating people, and from what we've seen, there are some interesting ways that 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 uh, techniques and tactics that are used in the music industry to motivate people. And we just don't follow those. So we're kind of, I'd say we're kind of outliers and from what I can see, but then again, we're not, we're not hobnobbing nonstop no. in the music industry. So what do we know? I, I think that, you know, <laughs> we really feel like it's, uh, we have an abundance mentality and I think that's, that's culturally a Napa Valley thing. You know, wineries aren't com- necessarily competing with one another tooth and nail. Right. A person that comes to Napa for the day or the weekend is going to go to four or five wineries over that weekend, maybe six if you if you got it in you. Um, and so I think people um, you know that that come to Napa want to shop wine uh, different wine brands. Well, we feel the same way about you know the the music industry and, and artists. We will wave. We're happy to wave radius clauses for the for the right reasons. And and you know if it's if it's not you know a main headliner playing the next day after our festival, um, we're probably going to you know take that yeah, into strong a, that's consideration. A great point. And I think that's the best way of describing how we're a little bit different um, and culturally speaking. Um, to Jason's point, we. There, there are these venues in downtown Napa, um, and we let anyone of them book our bands. And remember, we have the radius clause right. We control whether or not they can play within a 250-mile radius, you know, months mm-hmm. before the festival and, and months after. We just said, hey, do your thing. Um, you know, book these bands, market them however you want. Um, the music industry um, re- responds by saying, Really? <laughs> what's what's, <laughs> the, what's catch? the catch? <laughs> like nothing. We want local businesses to do well, and we want bands, local, small, or not Especially necessarily local, smaller but ones. smaller bands to do well. So if that means they get an extra play, you know, a month before, a month after Bottle Rock, because it's it's good for them. Are then, we going to lose a couple then, tickets? Yeah. Maybe. I mean, yeah. whatever. Like we're just not we're just not those people. And it's, you said it earlier. We didn't we didn't really know what we were getting into, and it's probably a good <laughs> thing to a certain extent. We probably wouldn't have gotten into it in the first place. But then too, hopefully we can we can uh, shed some loved in the industry and change some people's uh, ways of operating in the future. Who knows? Thank you guys for coming in. Dave oh, Graham, Jason Scoggins, Bottle Rock coming up in just a little over 60 days, May 29th, 30th, and 31st. Thank you both for being part of the program. Thanks a lot. Happy Thank to you. be here. Thank you. Thanks for listening to NapaBroadcasting.com, Napa Valley Radio, for the way we live now.